Everybody, and welcome to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast, discussing and debating the iconic and the forgotten of 80s and 90s pop culture with your co-hosts, James D. Graves and Jason Colvin. All right, welcome everybody. I am William Wallace. And I am Jason Maximus Colvinus. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everybody. We're going to talk today about Braveheart and Gladiator. These are great movies. I can't wait to get into these. These are best picture winners. So join us as we dive in and enjoy the fight of the warriors. This is awesome. I can't wait to dive into what we're talking about today. I just realized we've been going on for episode after episode, and we haven't talked about ourselves at all. Right. Which, I mean, I don't care about talking about myself, but <laughs> I want you guys to meet my friend, Jason Colvin, who is awesome in all kinds of ways, but to save time, I'll tell you one of those ways. Jason is the only guy who I've ever met who can hear a song, and even if it's just a few notes, can say, here's the song, here's the artist, and here is the year that it was released, with almost 100% accuracy. <laughs> He's fantastic at it. <laughs> Me and Casey Kasem, that's right. Right. And I should limit, and just to keep him humble, this only applies to the years 1982 <laughs> through the years 1998. That right? is the truth. That is the truth. <laughs> it's got to be in my sweet spot. For those who don't know you, your name is James D. Graves, but you go by the name D. Sure. I know you as D. It's okay if you call me James, but my friends. Can we call you Jimmy? That's what my wife calls me. <laughs> I, when she's <laughs> I love it when she does that. It's so funny. <laughs> And just to tell you a little bit about my friend D, D is a really bright guy, super, super smart. When we're playing Trivial Pursuit and I ask him a question, either I know it or I don't. There's there's no in-between. And he walks down the hallways of his brain and he digs out more stuff. And it always surprises me. It takes like 30 seconds and then he comes up with the right answer. So super bright guy and uh, just a lot of fun. I I love D. He's one of my best buddies. Some guys have rooms in a mental mansion. I have little index cards (laughs) and a mental Rolodex that I have to flip through. And either I have it or I don't have it. All right. So we're going to talk about two best picture movies. Yeah. This is a unique episode. This, you know, you guys have listened to us so far. You've heard us talk about Michael Jackson's bad album and thriller album, which we both loved. One of us just loved one more than the other. True. You've heard us talk about airplane versus space balls, which we have the same opinion on. We thought, we both thought uh, space balls didn't quite hold up. Airplane is the winner on that one. Yes. And then you've heard us talk about Van Halen, Van Hagar, which again, we have different opinions on, but we both enjoy both of them. Yes. And then you heard us talk about Raiders versus Back to the Future. Both loved both movies. Both had slightly differing opinions on it. This one, this one's unique. Yeah. We're talking about two movies and Jason likes one of them and doesn't like the other one. And I like that one and he doesn't like it. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. I'm anxious to dive into this. And typically we hold off judgment until the end, but I just got, I got to come out right now and I'm just going to say it. I love Braveheart and Gladiator can take a hike. I don't care if I never see it again. Oh my gosh. Okay. And and Gladiator is one of my all time favorite movies and Braveheart, eh, it's all right. So wrong. (laughs) 
so so wrong. Braveheart came out in 1995. May 24th, 1995 is the release date of Braveheart. Going back to 1995, I'm listening to Wonderwall by Oasis. I'm listening to Fake Plastic Trees by Radiohead. I'm listening to You Oughta Know by Alanis (laughs) Morissette. (laughs) Those are top three. What about you? Uh, Definitely Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill, and Collective Soul was my other favorite in 95. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, you know what else? The uh, Champagne Supernova by Oasis, one of my all-time favorite songs. Yeah, there were a whole lot of things that came out in 95, um, but we will all remember this sound. <laughs> so in 1995, sad event, the last cartoon of Calvin and Hobbes, my favorite comic Sunday morning. It's comic not even close. The guy, Bill Watterson, is a genius. Absolute genius. All right, and in the year 1995, we had the release of the movie Braveheart. We'll give you a quick overview of the plot. Simply this, William Wallace, in revenge for the murder of his new bride, sets out to fight the English to free the Scots from the oppression of the English king Longshanks. Several battles take place in which they are successful, but ultimately William Wallace is captured and executed only to return in the afterlife to his deceased wife. And ultimately the Scots win their freedom under the leadership of Robert the Bruce. Okay, so now let's take a look at what happened in the year 2000. Gladiator was released May 5th, 2000. Okay, so almost exactly five years apart, these two movies. Yeah, very close. Uh, Dee, what what were you listening to in the year 2000? Okay, so I listened to Kid A by Radiohead. You couldn't get away from Slim Shady. You couldn't get away from Yellow by Coldplay. Or Oops, I Did It Again by Britney Spears. Or Bye 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 by NSYNC. Bye, 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 bye. <laughs> what about you? Were you listening to in 2000? Oh, gosh. In 2000, so I'm starting to move out of pop music. I've got a job and a life. I, I listen to Third Eye Blind a lot uh-huh. at that time, and um, that's pretty much it. Okay. <laughs> Not much. Not an NSYNC fan. Huh? Moving out. It wasn't the- really a very good year for music, I got to say. Yeah. Uh, comparing 95 to 2000, 95 is a clear winner on quality of the music. All right. All right. This one's kind of a sad note for me. The final comic strip for Peanuts is released, and uh, Charles Schultz actually passes away in 2000. Okay, so that's what was happening in the year 2000. All right, and then as you said, May, the movie Gladiator is released. Yes. So we want to do the, the quick plot overview? Yeah. All right. Maximus, a powerful Roman general who is loved by his soldiers and by the emperor Marcus Aurelius is on the battlefield when the emperor chooses Maximus to take over as protector of Rome. But Marcus Aurelius decides that Commodus is not a moral man and can't take the throne. So Commodus then decides to kill the emperor and attempts to kill Maximus. He does, in fact, kill his wife and children. Maximus vows revenge, but he's captured and made him to be a gladiator. Now his only way of getting close enough to the emperor is becoming great as a gladiator so he can get close enough to exact his revenge on the emperor Commodus. General, he became a slave. The slave who became a gladiator. The gladiator defied an emperor. <laughs> All right, so that was uh, that's the plot overview for Gladiator. All right, so let's now talk about a little bit of the backstory for these movies. I'll begin. 
Braveheart. It begins back in 1983. Randall Wallace is interested in his heritage but doesn't know anything about it. Is on a trip to Edinburgh, Scotland, and he encounters the large statue of William Wallace. He sees that they both have the same last name. He imagines what it would have been like to be related to him and ultimately ends up with the epic poem by Blind Harry, The Life and Death of William Wallace. And from that, he starts developing this script. At the time, he was a screenwriter for various television shows, came up with this script along the way, and by the 90s, it ends up in the hands of a guy who I just learned about through this uh, experience, who, my gosh, is an amazing person. Have you heard of Alan Ladd? I have heard of Alan Ladd. Just why don't you tell us about it? Okay, so Alan Ladd Jr. is the one we're talking about. We had Alan Ladd Sr. You might remember him from the old movie Shane. His son, Alan Ladd Jr., became a producer in Hollywood. And he is the reason that we have so many of the movies that we love. Specifically and first, Star Wars. Star Wars. Thank you, Alan Ladd Jr. You changed my life. Absolutely. So, yeah, at the time, uh, George Lucas was having trouble getting a green light for his idea. And even during the production, when they were like, shut this down, it's over budget, it's not a good story. Alan Ladd Jr. was the guy who came and said, this movie needs to get made. He supports the creative minds out there. He's a guy who says, this is brilliant, and then he gets out of the way and lets the creative makers make their stuff. Right. That's right. And so he uh, he gets this script that Randall Wallace has made, and he's like, you know what? This is perfect for Mel Gibson. I'm going to give it to Mel Gibson, and Mel Gibson says, not good. Interesting. Right, sure. And this is when Mel Gibson is at kind of the height of his powers. Absolutely, yeah. He's top of the heap as far as actors are concerned at this time period in history, and he says, no, I'm not, I don't want to do it. I got other stuff going on, and I just don't want to do it. And so Alan Ladd Jr. is head of MGM at the time. He ends up leaving MGM, going to Paramount, is only allowed to take two scripts with him, and Braveheart is one of those two scripts. Good call by him. Yeah, right. Do we know what the other one was? Out of no, curiosity? No, I don't. I, oh, I, it's, it's probably one that never made <laughs> a difference at all. So then two years pass, Mel Gibson calls Alan Ladd Jr. and says, hey, what are you doing with Braveheart, that script? And Alan Ladd says, nothing. Right. And Mel says, I can't stop thinking about it. Can we get together for lunch? What a great story. Yeah. I believe Mel Gibson came to him and said, I'm interested in directing. Yeah. So the, at first, Mel only wanted to direct, did not want to be involved in it. Um, and there were several other actors that he pushed. He was interested in having Brad Pitt in the part. Um, he was interested in having... Jason Patrick. Jason Patrick from Lost Boys, from the Lost in, the Boys por- yeah. in the part, which he had the right look, but I don't think he had the acting chops to pull that off. Some yeah. other kind of crazy options. Robin Williams? That's Isn't that insane? I mean, come on. Here's what I've heard. Yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis... Which that one could have made something. He's got sure. the acting chops, but I don't know if he's got the box office pull. Ah, but he, I don't know, man. I, okay. I can, I mean, of all of the ones that I've heard, he seems the most likely to have pulled that off. Fair, right. Okay, Daniel Day-Lewis, Liam Neeson, Christopher Lambert, Jeff Bridges, and then like you said, Robin Williams and Brad Pitt. 
Ultimately, Mel, he has to agree to be in the movie because the studio refuses to fund it unless he plays the lead part and directs it. And Mel has, after this experience, said, I will never be on both sides of the camera again. By the end of it, he said, I wasn't sane anymore. I just needed to be in a padded room. I couldn't carry on conversations. It was too much. It's a lot to do. Yeah. You know, and actually, some of the criticism of this movie, not, not a lot, but some of the criticism, you know, Mel Gibson was almost 40 years old. Right, and he's playing a guy that's supposed to be in his mid twenties. Right, and I mean that was his that was his first objection is I'm too old I'm too old to play this guy. Yeah, I mean he's yeah he's late thirties at the time playing a guy in his twenties. Yeah, part of the deal for Mel Gibson getting the funding and, yeah. and getting to direct this movie yeah. was that he had to promise him a Lethal Weapon four. Right, which is why Lethal Weapon four is an absolute mockery of all of the other lethal, lethal weapons. It's a good movie. It's an enjoyable movie, but you watch it and you're going, they are totally making fun of themselves right now. They are having nothing but fun. <laughs> it's <laughs> absolute fun. Yes, um, that's the one with Jet Li. That's my third favorite. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking that number three had to be your fourth favorite. Yes, yeah. definitely. Because one and two were both awesome. Yes. Did you know that in October of 2009, Mel Gibson admitted that much of this film is fictitious? Oh, it, I don't think he's ever denied it. I mean, he just says, even in the commentary on the movie, he's been like, yeah, this is this is not what really happened in history, but right. this is cinematic. You have to make things cinematic. I mean, he even has said so much as William Wallace was a pretty crappy guy. I mean, he's, the Vikings would have called him a berserker. He would he smelled of smoke because he was always burning down other people's I villages. that was and so stuff. cool, yeah. He always smelled of smoke. Yeah. He was not a good guy. But, I mean, when you watch a movie, you've, you've got to make it a hero. And that, I think we should say right now, <laughs> I've read the history, and this movie is 100% accurate. No, that's, that's <laughs> false. That is false. Uh, th this movie is not accurate at all, but we're okay with that. We're not going to go – I'm not going to bash this movie because it's inaccurate. We're going to talk about Gladiator in a minute and – Maximus wasn't even a real person. So this, both of these movies deviate from history quite a bit, but I don't care. But they do have historical figures. Sure, yeah. Braveheart was actually supposed to take place between the years 1280 and 1314, almost a thousand years after Gladiator takes place. This movie was initially supposed to be an NC-17. Uh, Mel Gibson had to do a lot of cutting, had to cut some of the graphic violence out of it. Well, he had to cut some of the cutting. <laughs> he had to cut a lot of the cutting. He had apparently. to cut a lot of the cutting. He apparently, <laughs> like whenever the scene happens where the the executioner, the the inquisitor, pulls off the the blanket to display all of the implements of torture, yes. there were multiple people at the screening that got up and walked out and like, nope, I'm not going to sit here and watch this. So as graphic and as unpleasant as you think it is, it was way worse on the original cut. Yeah, and he actually they had to remove the line. The guy pulls off the thing and says, I'm going to use all of these. Right, yeah. See, I had to change that line. <laughs> People are like, ah, nope, I'm out of here. This is interesting. This is something that I found interesting. Mel Gibson, in preparing for this and how to direct this, mm -hmm. he watched several films, okay? Yep. And some of them that you would suspect, like Spartacus. I'm Spartacus! I'm Spartacus! I'm Spartacus! And Seven Samurai. Yep. But he watched NFL films. To yeah. get used to this. Yeah. The, well, and the footage that you have, especially in the battle scenes, is very much that kind of let's get up and, and close and personal kind of thing. Yeah. There's a famous celebrity that helped Mel Gibson with his accent. You know oh, yeah. I do know who it is. But so, I'll let you tell the story. Okay. Well, I, there's not much of a story, but Mel Gibson <laughs> needed to have a Scottish accent. So who do you call? Who's the most famous Scottish actor at the time? In the end... 
There can be only one. Sean Connery, right? Sean Connery. Sean Connery. I'll have the rapist for 200. <laughs> <laughs> That's therapist. <laughs> <laughs> so he and Sean Connery went to dinner. So one of the other criticisms that is sort of out there is that Mel Gibson's accent sucks. Oh, Francais, si vous préférez. <laughs> well, but here's the thing, and I'm gonna. This is the way I justify this. Okay. Okay. So the character of William Wallace in the movie leaves at the time that he's a child to go learn Latin and French and travels the world to all different kinds of places. His accent will be different. He'll it'll be varied. So it's acceptable to me. I, I have no problem with it. Yeah, doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. And plus, he, they can blame Sean Connery. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Okay, so are you good with the beginning of Braveheart? Yeah. The the backstory there. Okay, let's talk about the let's talk about the beginnings, the the backstory to Gladiator. Okay, so this one doesn't have quite as much interesting things to talk about as far as the beginning goes because when they actually started filming Gladiator, they only had twenty one. It depends on who you ask, but somewhere between twenty one and thirty two pages of a script ready to go. That to me is amazing in and of itself because this movie was several. How many millions of dollars did they spend on this movie? This the budget for this one hundred three million dollars. One hundred three million dollars. So Ridley Scott had the chops to go to producers and say, "Hey, I want to make this epic movie. It's going to cost one hundred three million dollars." And they're like, "Okay, tell us the story." And he's like, "Well, I really only have about a quarter of it." Right. And they said, "Okay." Here's the money. I feel really good about Act 1 and maybe part of Act 2. Yeah, I mean, if if I can go back to Braveheart real quick, whenever they went to the producers for money, not only did they say you're going to have to make Lethal Weapon 4, not only did they have to say you're going to have to star in it when he didn't want to, but they said, the Paramount guys said, we'll give you $15 million. <laughs> and, and, and Mel Gibson lost his... Yeah. And threw an ashtray through the wall, which I can understand. I mean, he had given up roles. He had done all this preparation, and they basically offered him 20% of the, the budget he needed. That is absolutely ridiculous. But, um, Brian 20- Johnson's Hoover vacuum cleaner commercial <laughs> was worth $15 million. Yeah. So what ended up happening is 20th Century Fox agreed to put up the rest of the money and they got international distribution rights and they made all the money on that movie because the movie Braveheart, when it came out, it it only made about nine million and something dollars here in the States, which didn't even get it up to the budget. Right. But worldwide, it made over two hundred and fifty million dollars. It's interesting that you say that before we get back into Gladiator, because I this is a time in my life when I went and saw everything. Uh-huh. And I don't recall seeing Braveheart at the theater. I don't really remember seeing either one of these. I just, for the first time, I've right. seen, I, I can remember how I felt after Gladiator, and I can remember how I felt after Braveheart for the first time seeing them, but I don't remember where I saw them. Okay, so Gladiator, back to Gladiator. The script started with only 21 to 32 pages, depending on who you ask. Yes. Uh, Russell Crowe has actually been quoted as saying, this is the stupidest way to fill a movie. (laughs) Yeah, he didn't like the experience. You know, but he had a lot of creative input on it. He said they would gather up, and sit down, and start writing stuff. Right, but almost too much, because as I understand it, if he didn't like the lines, he was just like, this is stupid, I'm not going to say it. He'd walk off the set. He almost didn't say... My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. Commander of the armies of the North, General of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true Emperor Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance. 
in this life or the next. That very famous line. Right. Yeah, he almost didn't say that. And if he didn't like the way that the script was going, he would walk off. Yeah. He'd be like, screw this. I'm not doing it anymore. Right. This movie was actually inspired by the, you ready for this? Yeah. My French accent. The Jean-Léon Jérôme nice. 1872 painting called Thumbs Down. Or if you're from Oklahoma, the John Leon Jerome. <laughs> <laughs> John Leon, Jimmy. Yes, the police verso, thumbs down. Thumbs down. Okay. Uh, so some other actors that were considered for the lead in this. Yes. Now, Ridley Scott has kind of said that Russell Crowe was his number one guy the entire time. Right. He had initially turned it down because he was so invested in The Insider. Okay. Which is, I think, maybe my favorite Russell Crowe performance. Well, talk about that because he had a lot of work to do after The Insider. Right. So The Insider, he plays a whistleblower in the tobacco industry and it's it's a fantastic performance by him, but he gained 40 pounds of fat. I mean, he was I mean he was he wasn't working out and gaining 40 pounds. He gained a lot of flab yep. to play this part and then uh, then he's being offered this gladiator part where he's got to be in tip-top shape and so does he hit the gym nope no he goes and works on the farm he's got himself a farm down in new zealand and he goes down there and works and drops drops the weight see i've heard him talk about this i'm not sure i buy it (laughs) walking around with sheep does not shed 40 pounds so Russell Crowe was the guy, the main guy that really Scott had targeted, but some other guys that were considered. I thought this was an interesting list. Here you go. Mel Gibson. Of course. It was the very first consideration because they wanted to ride on that success that Braveheart had had. And and at this time, I mean, he would have been, uh, you know, 45 or so. Yeah. I think that's about right for a Roman general. Right. But he said, no, I'm too old. <laughs> and this time I mean it. Anybody want to feel that? And I still have the Scottish accent. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else considered Hugh Jackman. Yeah. They got, what's with all the Australia guys? I don't know. Down Under guys are just, yeah, okay. Hugh Jackman, who else? And Hugh Jackman, this is kind of before even X-Men. I think X-Men kind of made it big in 2000. So yeah, X-Men was released. Before he's a household name, for sure. Absolutely. Okay, now here's the final name, and I thought this one was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Antonio Banderas. Yeah, because this is the, the Spaniard. Spaniard. Right. Does that make sense? Seems to me. Oh, for sure. But then... What happened a little bit later was Ridley Scott directed Antonio Banderas in the 13th Warrior and bing bong. It was a loser. Yeah. That was a loser. All right. So that is kind of the backstory on Gladiator. They kind of made it up as they went. Yeah. Gladiator, like Braveheart, was heavily influenced by Spartacus, the movie. Mm -hmm. It was also heavily influenced by a movie called The Fall of the Roman Empire. Both of those came out in the 60s. The Fall of the Roman Empire especially has a really similar plot because it tells the story of Livius, who is Marcus Aurelius's intended successor, but that's just the same as Maximus and Gladiator. David Franzini was the screenwriter who, I guess, at least wrote the first 20 pages or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he started developing the story back in the 70s after he read a book called uh, Those Who Are About to Die. And this line ha- comes up in the movie, for those about to die, we salute you. Those who are about to die, we salute you. And for those about to rock, we, we salute, salute you, you too. too. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to plug some ACDC real quick. You're right. Okay. One of the things that I thought was interesting, thumbs up, thumbs down, what we all accept in in American society, thumbs up means good, right? Yep. Hey, 
Good job. Fonzie. Thumbs up. Thumbs down means bad. Right. But they think in the Roman times it's actually the opposite. Right. Thumbs up meant give him the sword. Give him the sword. And thumbs down meant sheath the sword. Right. So when the guy in charge of the, the match gave the thumbs down, that meant mercy. Don't, right. don't kill him. Right. But nobody would have understood that. They thought about switching that, but they didn't want to confuse the audience. Right. And, and I that, would have been confused. I'd have been like, what the heck? He gave the thumbs down. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Not right. that Maximus follows what he's told to do anyway. Well, that's part. That was one of the points that he did. Yeah, right. sure. Now let's talk about the actors, the directors, and the composers in this one. All okay. Right. Yes. For Braveheart, it is directed, as we've said, by Mel Gibson. He won um, the Oscar for Best Director yes. that year, and he was also a producer on it, and the movie itself won Best Movie as well. You know what his only directing credit up to that point was? Yeah, he had directed a smaller budget film called Man Without a Face. But to go from that, which is a, a small kind of movie, uh-huh. to this, yeah, kind of a big thing to jump into. Absolutely. Well, uh, Alan Ladd Jr. totally supported him, and then the other producer involved was Bruce Davies. The It was written, as we said, by Randall Wallace, mm-hmm. who Mel Gibson said was very easy to work with. They also had to add things and take away things to kind of make it a complete story. And He was okay with that. Yeah, he was very good with that sounds great. And actually what they would do, they'd say, here's what we're thinking. And he'd say, this is great, and send it back, and he had made it even better. That's cool. Yeah. So since that point, just to kind of hit on Mel Gibson, most people are familiar with Mel Gibson, one of the top movie stars of our generation anyway. Yeah. Um, not a lot of directing for him. He did The Man With No Face. Right. He without did, a face. Without yes. a face. <laughs> the faceless guy. Uh, he did Braveheart. Right. Which is great. Yep. He did The Passion of the Christ. Yes. Which is amazing. Yes. He did Apocalypto. Okay. Have you seen that? No. You got to see that. I need to. So good. And then Hacksaw Ridge. Right. Which is another Best Picture winner? I don't know. I haven't seen it. I, mean, I don't know. I've heard, it, I've heard it's really good. Yeah. The director of Gladiators, Ridley Scott. Right. Alien is the movie I immediately think of with Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott has done Alien. Yep. He's done Blade Runner. Right. Thelma and Louise. He did Black Hawk Down. He did the latest, I think he's done like Alien Covenant. Oh. One of those new, you know, they're not any good. No, that's terrible. Him. He did a movie in the 80s with Tom Verger that I really like called Someone to Watch Over Me. Haven't seen it. For me, he's either home run or strikeout. He's yeah. the Babe Ruth of directors. So let's talk about the actors in each of the movies. Okay. In Braveheart, again, lead character is Mel Gibson. Martin Riggs. Uh, right. Lethal Weapon. One of the first things you think of. Um, I enjoyed Lethal Weapon. I enjoyed Ransom. But he did Hamlet. To be or not to be, that is the question. Yeah, it was really good. I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. I mean, talk about a movie that makes you enjoy Shakespeare. That mm-hmm. really, that one really was it. Super job. There were a couple of movies before that. Henry V by Kenneth Branagh had come out. I think it came out in 89. Fantastic. Okay. I yeah. haven't seen that. Yeah. What about Mad Max? You Mad Max guy? I didn't really, I didn't get into those movies. You're Okay. I'm more of a Lethal Weapon guy. Right. Which, hopefully very soon, we're going to dive in. Lethal Weapon versus Die Hard. Christmas movies. Coming soon. Right. <laughs> uh, and the lead we talked about in Gladiator, Russell Crowe. Right. He's been in things like LA Confidential, which is amazing. Mystery Alaska, Master and Commander. Yeah. 310 to Yuma. 
that was one that I enjoyed. I, there are not a whole lot of Russell Crowe movies that I just am super into. But I think he did a great job as uh, Jarrell in Man of Steel. Man of Steel. Yeah, I think he did a fantastic job in that movie. And I really, like I said, I really like The Insider. How about this one? Yeah. Les Mis. Haven't seen it. Widely regarded as the the downer of that movie is his part. And I'm Javel. Do not forget my name. Do not forget me. Two, four, six, oh, one. My wife loves his singing. Most people don't. He took a, he kind of took it on the chin on that movie. Yeah. And that movie was awesome. Oh, the movie's great. Yeah. Just not him. Well, I didn't have a problem with it. Yeah. I like it. I, I, I am a fan. So, you know, I'm, maybe I'm a little rose colored there. All right. Okay. So let's, ahead. let's run through the supporting actors on Braveheart. You've yes. got, Brian Cox. You don't speak Latin. Well, that's something we should have to remedy, isn't it? Speaking of Hannibal, Brian Cox was the original Hannibal in a movie that came out mid-80s by Michael Mann, same guy who directed The Insider, oh, yeah. uh, called Manhunter. Yes. Which is the original story before Silence of the Lambs, Manhunters, and it was remade later on uh, Red Dragon. Red Dragon, I was that's right. Name. But in that original mid 80s, I'm thinking 1986, Brian Cox played the part of Hannibal Lecter. Since Braveheart has gone on to do multiple things, which I've enjoyed him in, including the Bourne series, he's fantastic in that. Yeah, he's really good in the Bourne series. Uh, he's also Daphne's dad in the TV show Frasier. Okay. He's funny. <laughs> he's super funny in that. It's good. To, it's good he can do comedy too. That makes yeah. sense. We had Patrick McGuhan as the villain. Uh, King Edward I to Longshanks. Trouble with Scotland is that it's full of Scots. Patrick McGowan was <laughs> a, a handsome uh, actor from the 60s who had done a lot of TV, was kind of the debonair guy, even got offered the part of James Bond at one point, but it, turned it down. That's incredible. Yeah. We have Peter Hanley as Prince Edward. We have Sophie Marceau yes. as Princess Isabella. Because of the way you are looking at me now. Who's also in a James Bond movie. The world's not enough. Yep. She is uh, an incredible beauty. And I, I got to say, she is a fantastic actress. She does a great job. I mean, you watch this movie. I, I rewatched it. I'm like, holy smoke. She's got some chops on this acting. I mean, she's she's good. She, she has really that sort good. of quiet strength. Oh, that, that yeah. She, that queen has to have and apparently mel gibson during the course of the movie convinced the entire crew that she was the daughter of uh, marcel marceau the famous <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> you have angus mcfaden as robert the bruce i want to believe as he does again some serious acting chops on here for a guy that's such a slime ball in the movie that you actually but you still can identify with that you feel for. I think his character is comparable to what Joaquin Phoenix does in Gladiator, which we'll talk about here in a minute. But yeah. they have a their mission and their heart is kind of intermingled and mixed up sometimes. Right. And they convey that really well. Sure. Catherine McCormick plays Murrin. Do that stand on your head, my Chris. Another beauty, different type of beauty. Mm -hmm. Uh the but my gosh, every look that she gives as they as they're looking at each other in the movie, I'm just like, oh my heart. Yeah. It makes it hurt. You know, Mel Gibson when he talked about her when he talked about the interview process, yeah. He brought in when he brings in actors and actresses, he doesn't have them read. Yes. But he, he just sits down, has a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. And after sitting down with her, I heard him say this. He said he fell in love a little bit. Yeah. And I thought, man, 
and he, that's how he knew she was right for the part. Absolutely, and you do. You you just can't. I mean, she's wearing a potato sack, uh, yeah, <laughs> and she's got her hair just as she got you know, mud all over straight herself. stick hair, and you're yeah. still just like, oh. <laughs> you have. Brendan Leeson playing the part of Hamish, William Wallace's best friend, the giant redheaded warrior. I could crush you like a worm. Oh my gosh, what a great part. Uh, Brendan Gleeson, I know because I have kids from the Harry Potter series. He plays Mad-Eye Moody, Alistair Mad-Eye Moody in that one. And then also in Paddington 2, he's one of the jail cooks. Good part in that one. I haven't picked up Paddington 2 yet, but uh, um, sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> and he's Brand, uh, Brendan Gleeson is Irish and played a Scottish guy. Uh-huh. And then the my my favorite character in the whole movie is Stephen. Him that can't be William Wallace. I'm prettier than this man. That part is played by David O'Hara. In order to find his equal, an Irishman is forced to talk to God. Yes, Father. The Almighty says, "Don't change the subject. Just answer the." F- a Scottish guy playing an Irish guy. So you got a, an Irish guy playing a Scottish guy and a Scottish guy playing an Irish guy. And they're both my favorite guys in the movie. David O'Hara is so good. So good. Makes the whole movie. Yeah, he really steals some of the scenes. So those are the two right-hand men. And then the other loyal follower of William Wallace is Morrison, who is yes. played by Tommy Flanagan. You will recognize him from the large scars that he has on each side of his face. Interestingly, he is also right-hand man in the movie. Gladiator. He's Cicero. Yeah, Gladiator. he's Cicero and Gladiator. Yeah. Those scars are actually real. Yeah. He was in a night. He was attacked at a nightclub. He was working as a DJ, yeah. working at a nightclub. Yeah. And they actually call it the Glasgow Smile. Smile, I think. Right. Tommy Flanagan's first. Big budget movie, first movie of uh, Hollywood movie is Braveheart. He went on to do multiple things, has been an actor in over 60 productions since then. Okay, we ready to talk about the actors and actresses in Gladiator? Let's do it. All right. So we talked a little bit about the lead, Russell Crowe. He's a major movie star. You guys know him a lot of stuff. The guy who plays Commodus is Joaquin Phoenix. Am I not now, this year is up for... Has, have they had the Oscars yet? They will have had them by the time that, that this episode comes out. But um, he's in the movie Joker. Right. Which you... I despise that movie. Yeah. But he does a fantastic job. There's no question. Love it or hate the movie, you cannot deny that he does an incredible job. He he lost so much weight, and he looks almost grotesque in the movie. Uh-huh. The whole movie is just an unpleasant experience, but he, does, he really sold out and did an amazing job. Yeah. So Joaquin Phoenix, you may recognize from Space Camp. Yep. He was a little kid yeah. that Jinx sends to space in <laughs> Space Camp. Right. Uh, he was the little kid in, in Parenthood. Parenthood. He's been Such in, a moving part that he has, even for the small part that he is. This yeah. kid who kind of just never gets to see his dad, even though he desperately wants to. Um, Village. Yep. M. Night Shyamalan. Yep. And, and Science. Yeah. Right. Swing Away. Yep. Uh, Walk the Line. Plays Johnny Cash from Walk the Line. Yeah. Kind of a, I mean, he's a really prominent actor right now. Yeah, absolutely. So, Connie Nielsen plays Lucilla. Was I very different then? Most of our listeners probably will recognize her from the Wonder Woman movie. Yes, she's Diana's mother. Yeah, the, the queen. Amazonian mother. Yes. Yes. 
Okay, and then Oliver Reed. All you do is kill, kill, kill. I don't want a butcher, they want a hero. We want them to keep coming back. So they're just hack them to pieces. Remember, you are an entertainer. We'll talk more about him here in a little bit, but I mean, he's been in a lot of movies that I'm not familiar with, but the one movie that I am familiar with was this 1982 movie called Venom. Uh, not the Spider-Man movie, but uh, it's a movie where he's a kidnapper and there's black mamba loose in the, uh, in the apartment. He's the bad guy. His, it, there's a what? There's a black mamba loose in the apartment in England. A black mamba, huh? Yes. Okay. Kobe Bryant is running around the apartment. <laughs> so Oliver Reed, I know from Oliver, the movie. Okay, Oliver, okay. which was a musical from back in the 60s where he's the villain. And he was also in this werewolf movie that I probably I could find. It's like Curse of the Werewolf or something like that, which was fantastic. But I haven't seen it since I was maybe seven years old or something. You say werewolf movie and I'm in. I don't care. <laughs> he was in the uh, Adventures of Baron von Mukhausen as well. Yes. But yeah, and Oliver, that's probably his most famous role. He plays Bill Sykes, the evil... Guy who kills the, his beautiful wife. It's terrible. Anyway, okay. let's keep going. Richard okay. Harris, who plays Marcus Aurelius. Have I missed it? Have I missed the battle? You have missed the war. All right, Richard Harris, who has been in a ton of stuff, but... Dumbledore. He, he's definitely been in the Harry Potter movies. He's Dumbledore, <laughs> Dumbledore in Harry Potter. Original Dumbledore. He was in Patriot Games. Yep. Orca, which is kind of a Jaws-like movie, except it's a killer whale from mm. the 70s. Yes. Um... But uh, for me, he's always the guy from Unforgiven. Right. He, Gene Hackman beats the heck out of him and almost beats him to death in the movie Unforgiven. We may not include this. Richard Harris is in Tarzan the Ape Man with Bo Derek. Oh. <laughs> have you seen that, Yes, I have. Okay. One part of it over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, composers? Okay, so for Braveheart, we have James Horner. Fantastic composer. I love this soundtrack. Love it. Um, it's like you talked about uh, the beginning of the Thriller album of want to be starting something. Three beats in, you're in. Right. When you start with the, the bagpipes playing at the beginning of this thing and I'm swept over to Scotland, I'm in. I'm in for the deal. Uh, James Horner has done tons of stuff, most memorable, Braveheart, uh, and a few years later, he does the soundtrack for Titanic. Titanic, one of your favorite movies, movie that I think is okay, um, but it is the biggest selling soundtrack album of all time. James Horner sadly passed away back in 2015, kind of, a, he was in the midst of his doing some great stuff. Uh, but he had a—he was flying a plane, had a plane crash, and oh, passed away. I did not know that. Gladiator has one of the most famous composers of all time as well. Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer. And he's one of my favorites, too. He, he does great stuff. So he's done Batman Begins. Yeah. 
He's done Rain Man. Yep. Twister. Yep. Crimson Tide. Yep. The Last Samurai. Interstellar. Interstellar. Inception. He just got Dunkirk. Chris, so Christopher Nolan, apparently. Yeah, he's yeah Christopher. It's he's Christopher Nolan and Hans Zimmer are kind of like Steven Spielberg and John Williams. Yes, he just got the new the latest Bond movie. Ooh, okay. Which I just saw today. Yeah. But let me just say, for me, I love this soundtrack. I think it's amazing. I don't know if you ever saw this TV show called The Contender. It was a uh, Sylvester Stallone boxing show. No. Hans Zimmer did the theme song from it. Okay. And it was incredible. So, Hans Zimmer, before we move on from him, he was in a famous 80s pop band. Okay. Video Video Kill the Radio Star. Very first video of MTV. He was the keyboardist in the Buggles. Oh wow, that's an interesting, <laughs> that's an interesting move. Oh my gosh! I when I saw that, I could not believe it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, I think we've gone through our we've gone through our players, yep. we've gone through our creatives, we've gone through the story. I think it's time to, to jump in. Okay, let's let's get into where you're wrong and I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> So, join us next week for part two of the debate. Thank you so much for your support of the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Don't forget, we also love to discuss these on social media. So, be sure to follow us at Shirley Podcast on Twitter. Shirley Podcast on Facebook. Email us at ShirleyPodcast at gmail.com. Or check out the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast channel on YouTube. And as always, please hit the subscribe button now so that you never miss an episode of the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. I'll take the rapists for 200. That's therapists. All music images and movie clips are used for the purposes of commentary and education in conjunction with the fair use agreement under the U.S. copyright law.